This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Robert C. Lawrence, a retired Gilderland teacher. He has just published his second book. He and his wife, Carol Ann, were kayaking on an Adirondack lake watching some loons when she asked him how the mountain looming over them, Blue Mountain, got its name. Lawrence thought he'd buy a book on Adirondack place names to answer the question. But there was no such book. So, he wrote one. I would just like to start by hearing how it is you came to write this book. My wife and I were camping at Lake Durant campsite in the Adirondacks. And we decided to go out kayaking that day. And... While we were kayaking, we were watching some loons, and my wife decided, my wife asked me the question, how did that mountain above us get the name Blue? And I said, well, I don't really know. We'll go to the uh, Blue Mountain Museum, and we'll get a book on it, and then we'll have the answer. We went to the museum the next day, which is near Lake Durant in Blue Mountain Lake, and we couldn't find a book. So I started researching Blue Mountain, and I said, well, this is kind of interesting, so I'm going to research some other mountains. Then I decided I needed to set a limit so, because there's over 800 mountains in the Adirondack Park. So I decided, oh, I'm going to look at, I'm going to research the 100 highest. And one thing led to another, and I decided to write the book. And a friend of mine wrote a song for the book. Um, and then I decided to add some other mountains. I decided to add the Saranac Six because they were a hiking challenge. And I decided to add the Tupper Lake Triad, another hiking challenge, which a lot of people that don't want to climb the high peaks or and families do. And then I decided, well, I needed to add some other personal favorites. And those were mountains that a lot of local people and a lot of people climb just for the view or for whatever other, because they're easy. So that's how the book came about. Well, I'm, I, I'm so glad it did. And I just love that story because the next time someone's sitting in a kayak and listening to loons and wondering about the name of a mountain, they will be able to go and purchase the book. So you have that story in your book. So I was very eager. I went through in alphabetical order. I did not skip ahead. I was so eager to get to Blue Mountain <laughs> and see. And I thought, okay, it's just going to tell me it's blue. But I don't, we're not going to read every single passage on every mountain, but I'm going to read just part of this one. So our listeners get an idea of how rich the book is in its research. Bob doesn't just tell you, oh, it's Blue Mountain because it's blue. He starts out saying, Blue Mountain had several previous names. The native people called it 
and I might not be saying this right, Tuarlunda, Hill of Storms. The mountain for a brief time was called Mount Emmons for Ebenezer Emmons, who was New York State's geologist geologist at the time and headed the first geological survey of the Adirondacks. However, Adirondack guides felt that Blue Mountain almost always appeared in shades of blue and was appropriately named. And then it goes on to tell other names over the history. It's a full page and a quarter, um, you know, of the essential role it played when Verplank, Verplank Colvin was surveying the Adirondacks. And um, it, it's just fascinating little bits and pieces. And those of us that love the mountains and climb them, and even those of us that just look at them, can really learn so much richness. So you mentioned in that opening uh Bit, uh, the song, and I have never before read a book that had its own song. So can you just tell us how that came to be? Uh, yes. Uh, Dale Wade Casey, I've known him for several years. He taught with my wife, and he's a big history buff as a result of teaching social studies, as I, as I am. Um, so I was talking to him about the book, and he said, I'll write you a song for the book. And I knew that he, he was a singer-songwriter, and he, he's a part of the group called Everest Rising. And uh, so he wrote, a, he wrote the song for the book. Oh, that's great. And has he sung it for you? I was trying to get a recording for this podcast, but I couldn't. Has he sung it for you? Uh, he sang it personally to me, but there's no link or and. He said, maybe someday our, our group, Everest Rising, will record it. Oh, well, let, let us know if they do, and we'll, we'll link it to the podcast. Um, that's just really neat. So was he a teacher at Gilderland also, or is he from somewhere else? <laughs> he was uh, taught with my wife at Mahonison. I see. So tell us a little, um, before we plunge back into the book, about yourself. I understand you grew up in Watertown, is that right? Yeah, Watertown, New York, not Massachusetts. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> We're talking Adirondacks here. So yeah. uh, what was your life like growing up? What did your parents do? What, what kind of, you know, relationship did you have with the Adirondacks? Um, my parents, my mother was a special ed teacher, and my father was a superintendent for a local engineering firm. And uh, just like any other kid, you know, enjoyed sports and everything. And I had a paper route for six years in the Watertown Daily Times. And um, then I went off to, uh, I went to community college in Watertown, Jefferson Community College. And from there, I went to Oswego State for a couple of years. And then I ended up in Albany after I accepted my first teaching job at Gilderland. And I didn't know anything about Gilderland at the time. <laughs> well, I bet you learned. Knowing you, you probably delved into the name and what it, what it came from. Um, An interesting comment about Gilderland. I, I, when I first came to Gilderland, I had this little green history book. Um, it's the, town, the history of the town of Gilderland. Yeah. And, and one of the pe people that I was most fascinated with was uh, Schoolcraft. Henry later, Rao? Henry Rao so, Schoolcraft? Yeah, Henry Schoolcraft. Yeah. And I learned about, you know, how his, his relationship with Longfellow and how he wrote 
Longfellow wrote the poem Hiawatha, which is copied after is really what Schoolcraft talked about in his uh, with uh, Longfellow about Norman skill. But later on, when I'm doing this research, trying to find out what you know Tolmany is and everything, I come across Henry Schoolcraft again, and he was a famous Toponist. So tell us, because everyone hasn't read the book, what that means. Uh, the study of place names. Yeah, that's great. Oh, wow. I learned words in here because each chapter, tell us what each chapter is called. Aronyms. And that means? Mountain place name. And I, that's a word I never knew. And the book goes through each letter of the alphabet. And I just love the way it's put together because you start each one of these chapters with a picture and a quote. And the quotes are just marvelous. How did you select those? Well, for years, I'm in, I've been involved with quotes. My first book operates the same way, Sailor of the Stars. It's a book on astronauts. And that's in, I used the space alphabet for that, that book. Um, and I have a quote at every, I had a quote in my first book at every chapter for that. I just love quotes. They, they you know, they say one, one uh, picture is a, worth a thousand words. Well, I think some of the quotes are worth a thousand words. They do get your mind going in all different directions. And some of them, you know, you would expect. You have John Muir, you know, and you think, okay, he's a naturalist. That's somebody you'd expect. Or Verplank Colvin you'd expect because he's the one that literally put the Adirondack on the map. And Henry David Thoreau, you think, oh, well, yeah, he's a well-known naturalist. But then you get into, I've never heard of the uh, British cartographer, Sir Martin Conway. How, like, how did you come across some of these people? And you have several quotes from an astronaut, too. I mean, is it just you come across them in your own reading? Or how, how do you come up with them? Oh, I search for mountain quotes and some were current mount quotes and i didn't think you know like from dr seuss and i didn't feel i could use that quote because of copyright laws so i tried to use um, people that were back further like henry van dyke and so forth and michael collins uh he's always been one of my favorite astronauts after all why is he a favorite I'm from Apollo 11. Yeah. And um, he just, he has a lot of quotes, and he's an explorer, too. He was an explorer. Yes, a space explorer. So you yeah. mentioned in passing, I hadn't realized until just this mention you made, that you are already an author. Tell us about Sailor of Stars. Is that the name of the book that you were... Sailor. It's Sailor of the Stars. Sailor of the Stars is the Greek meaning of astronaut. Now, when, with my first book, I had to go through a publisher. So I had to, my publisher edited my book, and they didn't want me to use the word Sailor of the Stars because they wanted it to be sellable and saleable, and they wanted it to be... Um, uh, they wanted to say astronaut. It would sell more books. 
but I stood my ground on the title. I like the I like the title Sail of the Stars, and so I. That's what it ended up being. It's it's a teaching simulation for students in grades four through eight to um, role play astronauts from the beginning of their career through a mission and and through the press conference at the end. Wow. So I, I've used it in my classroom. I have a lot of space background. Uh, I've been tra- I've been trained by NASA. Um, and I just, you know, a lot of these things I just did to make teaching and learning more interesting. Yeah, that would be fascinating. So what grades did you teach at Gilderland and what um, subjects? I first started in fifth grade at uh, Linwood and I taught, you know, everything. And right. then when Fort Hunter closed... I got moved to Gilderland Elementary, and there I taught fifth grade. And then my last year there, I taught fourth grade. And then they decided they would, um, we would close Gilderland Elementary and go to the middle school. So they moved all the fifth grades to the middle school. And so some fifth grade teachers from the elementary school didn't want to go to the middle school. So I opted to be a fifth grade teacher in the middle school. And then I taught sixth grade. And one year I taught seventh social studies and another year I taught eighth social studies because a big group was going through the middle school. Wow. So you're kind of the renaissance man when it comes to teaching. But oh, and I also taught summer school for 10 years, but it was an enrichment program. And my, my course was called It's for the Birds because it was about birds. How, how so? It's for the birds? What kind of birds? Any birds. I had the kids make a nest using two of their fingers. How do you, I'm just, you're taking me by surprise. I love this. So in the summer school course, it's for the birds. The children learned about different kinds of birds and they constructed their own nest. Why did they, because the two fingers would approximate the beak of a bird. Is that the That's idea? Correct. Oh, And they my. had to use the middle school grounds to do it. So they got to really understand how hard it is for a bird to build a nest. Yeah. I mean, I have trouble with chopsticks. I can't imagine building a nest with two fingers. How did they do? Oh, great. Better yeah. than I would Yeah. Well, so then they went, like, bird watching on the school grounds or what? Like yeah, what? you know, just learned all kinds of things about birds. Oh, wow. So are you a bird watcher yourself? Uh, I, I'm not an avid bird watcher, but I do watch the birds in my backyard. Yeah, and you certainly appreciate the loons when you're out on the lake. I just love... Yeah, I love loons. Yeah, just the way that they laugh. They sound like they're laughing. Um, so still on this track of your teaching experience, it seems so broad and rich. Um, I had looked up an old story I did years ago, you were involved with the National Baseball Hall of Fame. What, how, how did that come about as a teacher? What, what was your role there? Well, I, again, I used baseball as a, a theme to get across certain language arts skills. And uh, one of the research projects was researching Hall of Famers and so forth. And I took the kids to the Baseball Hall of Fame 
And they had an educational program where they divided the kids up in modules and kids used the uh, museum artifacts to uh, learn about different things. So one of the things that I always had all my students learn about was they had the early days of baseball. They, they used ticker tape um, to get the story of the game mm -hmm. after the game was over. And they would reenact the game. And so the kids had to reenact the game using a ticker tape of a uh, baseball game from uh, that Toronto Blue Jays were involved with in the World Series in uh, the 90s. Oh, isn't that great? So they'd read what the ticker tape said, and then they'd have to act out the different plays. Oh, and they had to use sound effects. <laughs> They like had the sound bat effects. hitting the ball, like crack or like. Yeah, they had to use a, like a, a symbol and a, a stick, a drumstick. They had to use different things. Oh, my gosh. What a creative teacher. Oh, my goodness. I bet kids just love to be in your class. Do you stay? In I don't know. Do you stay in touch with any of your students? Um, not really. Well, I, I am going to a wedding for one of my sixth grade students in this next month oh, in May. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, well, I, I see you were also um, involved in the Canadian. Oh, so here's how I, that led to my um, involvement in the base. They, the, the educator there, they said, we're forming this committee on um advisory board for education, would you like to be on it? And of course I asked my school district and they said, sure, go ahead. And um, so I was on with a number of people from business and from education and one professional girls baseball team member from the forties, Dolly Brum Brumfield White. And so that was a thrill of mine just to be an, and, you know, I've seen the league of their own and everything. And oh, that was the movie about the girls' baseball league. And yeah, so and Dolly Brumfield-White was on this advisory board with you at the Cooperstown uh, Museum for Baseball Hall yeah, of Fame. And so, and so I got to meet her and I got to, you know, talk to her and everything. It was kind of exciting. That is exciting. Well, so you were also involved in Canadian studies, what, what was that about? I taught fifth grade, and there's three things you teach in social studies in fifth grade, the United States, South America, and Canada. And so I got involved, I don't know, I got involved through my school district, and, you know, I got on this committee with a number of people from Plattsburgh State, New York State Ed Department, University of Maine at Orono, and... Um, we had to develop curriculum for um, Canada for New York State elementary and high school teachers. Wow. So I got, I got involved with that. And then I edited one of the books. One of the books that's used in the classroom to teach history to fifth graders about Canada? Yeah, elementary, the elementary book. Wow. Well, you are just amazing in the breadth and depths of your knowledge. So to return for a moment to your current book, 
I hadn't known there were others. Tell me about uh, how you went about selecting these photographs. And particularly, there's one uh, photographer whose name appears quite a bit, Kay Flickinger. And I wonder if you know anything about who she is. And uh, she must have been climbing these mountains to take these pictures. Well, first of all, I selected a photo by Mark Bowie, who's an Adirondack photographer. Yes. And his family, his family was, um, his, his grandfather was a photographer and he, he and the family, um, did the early photograph, uh, early postcards of the Adirondacks. So I had met him at a presentation from the Cali Adirondack Center, which is, um, in, uh, Niskiuna. Mm-hmm. And he was pre- presenting and I, I ended up talking to him and down the road when I needed a photo for the front. I knew he probably had a photo of Lake Durant and Blue Mountain, which is where the book started. And that's what I went with. Kay Flickinger, um, the Kelly Adirondack Center in Niskayuna has a large uh, collection of her work. She took, she was a, um, she worked for General Electric. um, And on weekends, she would hike the Adirondacks and Catskills. And she, her, her hobby was taking photographs. So the Kelly Adirondack Center has a huge collection of her, has all her photographs, her journals, her maps and everything. And uh, they said, why don't you use, why don't you use Kay, Kay Flickinger's photos for the book? And so they gave them, they gave them all to me. They didn't have to, they didn't charge me. Well, they're wonderful black and white photos. And I bet in that era, uh, carrying camera equipment up the mountains, <laughs> It's not like, you know, it fit in your pocket the way it does now. But um, I ass- uh, uh, in addition to working at GE, she was the first, the 41st 46er. And oh. she was she was the first secretary of the 46ers. The president at that time was a, a gal by the name of Grace Hadowski, who also has a mountain named after her. Yes. Well, I'm very familiar with her because I was a 46er in the era when, you know, they had a can, a canister at the top of each mountain. And you as a climber were responsible for signing your own name, but also sending to Grace um, the person on the list before you. And that was her way of tracking them all. And she became pen pals with thousands of people, including me. (laughs) So, you know, you would write in um, the name from from the canister to let her know because she tracked them all. And then she was gracious enough to write back. I don't know how she did it, but um, it, it was a remarkable correspondence. And I was so thrilled when they named uh, the mountain after her. If you could just kind of walk us through that mountain naming process, because it, it's quite, quite entailed. Yeah, because most recently... Um Mountains have that receive official names are mountains for people. I haven't seen any new mountains named for shapes or anything. So if so, first of all, the person has to be deceased, and it ha- has to have been deceased for a few years, and then people like you and I and everybody else, local people that are interested in getting a mountain name for a person like Grace or Ines, um, advocate for it. And then you get the state 
people involved. And then it goes, then it goes to the New York State Committee on Geographic Names. If they approve it, it goes to the United States Board on Geographic Names, and then it, the name becomes official. Yeah, Grace was named a mountain in 2014, and most recently, um, Mount Inus um, was named in 2019. And she was somebody I'd never heard of. Perhaps it's because I'm a woman, but I was so fascinated in your book, which has these 100 highest peaks, the Saranac Six, the Tupper Lake Triad, and then some of your favorites, that there were just four named after women. And um, if you could just tell us a little about each of those four. Mount Joe, I'm assuming you put in because that was one of your favorites, right? That's the small mountain right near Heart Lake. Yeah, that's right, because that's she was she was the uh, fiance of uh, Henry von Hogenberg, who also has a mountain named after him. And uh, it's, I, I really don't want to talk about the women as much because I want people to read the book. Oh, well, I thought we'd titillate them into reading it. <laughs> Okay. Okay, but that's all right. So um, jo Josephine, they met in. Um, they had gone to the mountains because of their hay fever and everything. They wanted to escape. Uh, Henry was wanted to escape New York City because he wanted somewhere else to go in the, in the um, summer, and he was he grew up in Troy. Uh, so they met, and she. They became engaged and they talked about the house that they were going to build and everything. And then when her father found out about it, he called her back to the city. And because uh, Henry was not Jewish and she was Jewish. And uh, she met with a mysterious death. They think the father might have done it, but, you know, who knows? And then um, Esther, 15-year-old girl, wanted to be adventurous, wanted to climb a mountain, wanted to climb Whiteface for whatever reason. So she climbed what she thought was uh, Whiteface, but it was another mountain. And um, she became lost, and searchers had to go out and find her. They did find her the next day. And then her mother jokingly said, well, let's call that Mount Nestor. And that's how it began. I just love that story. And I love what Grace wrote about her. You know, a woman just climbing for the joy of climbing. She wasn't trying to climb the 46 or <laughs> had a particular goal. It was just for the love of climbing. And yeah. then we've talked about Grace, but the one that I had never heard of was Inez Mulholland who is described in your book is the suffrage Joan of Arc. Yeah, because she rode a white horse in uh, Woodrow Wilson's inauguration parade. And she promoted, um, she was, um, worked for women's rights to vote. It was just before she, um, before the 19th Amendment. She never saw the 19th Amendment because she passed away at 30. Um, but she also promoted world peace and she promoted re prison reform and um, the Afro-American rights. And a lot of these things we're dealing with right now. I yeah. mean, the, in 
Simon and just only four mountains named quality. It yeah. should be a lot. Simon. Well, I, I love the way world history and United States history is and maybe this is your teaching background, is woven in to the stories of the names. Um, one uh, other one that leaps to mind is uh, a young man who was killed um, during the civil rights movement trying to register black voters in the South and um, had had a mountain named after him. Are there any that stand out for you as something you didn't know until you researched or something that became one of your favorite names once you understood it more fully? Well, one of the stories is I, I was speaking with my PA and my dermatologist, and she was telling me, she was saying, you know, I'm from Saranac Lake, because she knew I was writing this book. I'm from Saranac Lake, and I'm named for one of those mountains. I'm named for Mackenzie. And, uh, so she told me the story of her, um, her grandfather was very connected to Mackenzie Mountain. He, um, he went up and measured snow amounts on the mountain. And he, he, you know, at one time he wanted to do a ski, build a ski lodge there. And so he, since he was so connected with the mountain, they decided that they would name um, their first daughter or after the uh, mountain Mackenzie. Oh, how lovely. How lovely. Are there any other ones that stand out for you? Well, I kind of like Dippy Kill because I have a connection there because I'm a graduate of UAlbany or SUNY uh, Albany, whatever they want to call them um, at the time. And uh, a lot of my friends, you know, went to their lodges there and it's kind of like Walden. It had no electricity. You had to build your own fire and everything. And it's just a favorite of mine. I had a lot, I had a lot of help with um, finding out the information I needed for that mountain too, from the president of the university and other people that were connected with it. I found out my information very quickly. So it's, it's just kind of a, a favorite. I, I haven't been there, but I mean, it's just a favorite. Well, does writing about their names make you want to go to these places? <laughs> or is it enough just to have chronicled, you know, just yeah. the, does the actual physical mountain play into your your views on any of these? I have I've climbed some of these mountains, Marcy, a couple of times, once with my outing club in at Jefferson Community College and and another time with eighth graders from the middle school. Um I don't know. I just some, certain mountains kind of, you know, strike a chord, and you know, I'd like to. I've been up, you know, Ampersand, and I've been up St. Regis, and I like the little mountains as well as the big mountains. I like the view. I like the. And now, I you know, I, I probably want to. If I climb a mountain, I got to make sure I got to know what it's named for. Yeah, I think it's just a great. Your book is a great marriage of both. The, you know, the pictures that capture the physical place as well as the words that tell the story. And it's, it's just 
fun to flip through and, and find out little bits and pieces. Our time has gone so fast. Do you have any concluding thoughts, anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, one thing I'd like to say is this book is self-published. So I, I ran into a lot of different things that I didn't realize that publishers do. And I was fortunate enough to find the Troy bookmakers in on River Street in Troy mm-hmm. and they formatted my book and they got it printed. And they have they own two bookstores in the region. Um, they own Market Block Books in Troy and the Bookhouse in Stuyvesant. And they also have an Amazon storefront. So I have I have to market my own book. So I also wanted to market in the Adirondacks, so I found this Blue Line Book Exchange, and they're distributed all through the Adirondacks. And I've been fortunate enough to have media, such as you, and um, Saratoga Living Magazine, Saratoga Today. They've all published articles on it, as well as the Times Union and my New York State United Teachers Magazine. So I, I just, it's kind of a, a different approach and I think a lot of people out there are, are waiting to write a book and, you know, they need to look for a company like Troy Bookmakers. And, uh, and, and I like working with the small business owners. And it sounds like from comments you made on the, the astronaut book that having a a publisher has its drawbacks as well as its advantages. You don't have to market your own book, but they were trying to force you to write you know, the title a certain way because they thought it would sell better. And I guess when you do it yourself, you can do it your own way. And I was fortunate to, when I did write the, the first book, I was fortunate to know a lot of the astronauts personally. And so that helped. And I even, my book was endorsed by an astronaut. So how is it that you knew some of the astronauts personally? Um, From going to different presentations and from going, I went to the Hall of Fame induction for the first four shuttle astronauts. And there I met Wally Sherrard and Scott Carpenter. And with my book, instead of getting signed in their books, I had astronauts sign my book. (laughs) <laughs> so I have the two Mercury astronauts. I have so, and I just befriended another astronaut, and he endorsed my book. And I oh I also I also worked for Space Launch News, which I was an education editor for that as well. And I had to interview all these people. And one of the first articles I wrote, I decided to involve my eight most gifted writers in the class because I felt they needed a challenge and we wrote together the first article and it was published in Space Launch News. And what was it about? It was about Eileen Collins who eventually, who's a a New Yorker from Elmira and Heidi DeBlock who is a cardiologist at Albany Med Center and um we wrote about the, their connections, and we called it Ever Upwards, which is the state model. And um, so they got the, I got to interview Eileen Collins, and um, the NASA said, you'll be lucky if you get five minutes out of her. I got 30. And um, the kids were right there with me. They said, you have to interview 
the kids can't do it. So you have to interview. So I had the eight kids there. And then from there, they wrote the um, article. Oh, my gosh. How lucky they were to have you for a teacher. So do you see a common thread here, your interest in outer space and your interest in the mountains? I guess you mentioned exploration, the sense of, you know, adventure and new worlds. Where did that come from in you? Why, why is that something that became central in your life? I, bec- I grew up with a space program. If you were a child of the 60s, you watched every space launch going. And so I and I also carried the Watertown Daily Times and I read every article on space and other things. And somebody asked me once, where do you think where do you think what do you think started your writing? And I said, it was probably from delivering the uh, Watertown Daily Times. And I know your father was involved with that. Yeah, my Um, father wrote for the for the Times. Yeah. And uh, I said, and that's, and then the woman goes, that must be why my my son is a journalist for the Washington Post. <laughs> you ha- she, he, he had a paper route too. Well, my husband had a paper route and he became a journalist. I could not have a paper route because they didn't let girls do that. <laughs> so they do now. Oh, they sure do. Um, but um, that's wonderful. So you would deliver the Watertown Daily Times, but before you tossed it onto people's front porches, you would read it first and, and gleaned all the the space news. As as yeah, it, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. I read, I read all the space news, and I was just interested in doing that. When I did write for Space Launch News, I did get to interview a lot of astronauts besides. Eileen Collins and Heidi DeBlock. Heidi DeBlock, she monitored the um, hearts of the astronauts when they landed at Kennedy. But anyways, I was, and I was even able to interview my favorite folk singer from, that I grew up with. Who's and, that? And I had seen her at a concert at Oswego, Judy Collins. Oh, gosh. That's... And, she had, and she had written a song for... Eileen Collins and her crew members, and I also have the lyrics of her of her words of her song in my other book. I, I like music. I can't sing. I can't play, but I appreciate the people that can. So, what was the Judy Collins song that was written for Eileen Collins? Do you remember the name of that? And not. Looked at clouds from both sides now. No, No, it wasn't that one. (laughs) Okay. You know, because an astronaut would do that. You'd see the clouds from down below and then you'd see them from up above. Um, You get so far, you get so far, you know, involved with other things that. Yeah. Well, you certainly are. That book had 213 pages. It's very technical. Yeah. Gosh. Um, I had my other book here. Oh, I do have it here. I have all my writings that other things I've written. Um, so do you have an, another book in mind? Are you going on no, from here or? No, I don't have another book in mind, but everybody asks me the same question. Yeah. You'll just wait until the moment arises. The next time you and your wife are out in your kayaks, <laughs> you'll see what, what pops up. No, things pop up when I'm reading. So you read a lot. Yeah, weed. Oh, weeding. Things pop up when I'm in my garden. Oh, 
Weeding. You're a gardener. That's good. That's a nice time to think. So um, are you right now looking for that Judy Collins song? Is that what's happening? Yeah, that's what I'm looking for, but I don't know if I can find it. Oh, that's okay. I got so much in this book. Yeah, it sounds like a great one. Yeah, I wasn't planning on writing another book, you know. It's, I said I had enough of that first book. It was just so time-consuming and so demanding. Well, give us uh, an end thought on what it's like to be so busy when you're retired. You finish the book, you garden. How else How else is your time taken up? Camping. Camping. That's nice. And, oh, I... After I retired from Gilliland, I took a job with SUNY Cortland teachings. Um, I couldn't stop. Uh, elementary and um, childhood education. And I, stu- I supervised student teachers in the Albany area and I taught a class to them. So I did that for 10 years. Oh, wow. So then I figured, well, I'm done with everything now. <laughs> and then we go camping in the summer and this book starts. 